Hello and welcome to yet another episode of How Not to Suck. At the Stocks, this is your host, Dan Hansen. And surprise, surprise, I am not a legal or financial expert of any kind. Uh, so I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot of the stuff that was written in the Epic vs. Apple Games court documents. Um, I could have made mistakes in making my notes, uh, for sure. And I'm going to be offering my opinion and, of course, you should take my opinion with as many grains of salt as you deem necessary. But let's, uh, let's dive in. So, basically, Epic Games argues that the Apple App Store is a monopoly that does not compete with anyone and that Apple should not be allowed to charge a 30% commission. Uh, Apple counters by saying that they compete with all digital gaming. So every time someone downloads a game on a Sony PlayStation or a Microsoft Xbox or a Nintendo Switch or even on a PC or other smartphone, they are competing with Apple's App Store. And furthermore, Apple says that not only should they be allowed to charge 30% uh, for games on their App Store, but they should be allowed to prevent developers from circumventing that 30%, um, such as by providing like links to the developer's website or by emailing the, the people who download the app and saying, hey, you know, buy the in-app in -app, uh, content directly from us and circumventing Apple. Uh, the court says, not every business is entitled to have access to what is effectively shelf space if they cannot afford to pay commission to the platform host. Apple says, just like a store such as Nordstrom does not advertise prices at Macy's on its goods, Apple should not have to advertise prices on the web or Android. Uh, furthermore, uh, another example, uh, merchants would often advertise American Express acceptance to attract users uh, who used American Express rewards, but then the, the merchant would steer them towards Visa or MasterCard because those cards would have lower fees. But then the court says, in retail brick and mortar stores, consumers do not lack knowledge of options. Technology platforms differ. Apple created a new innovative platform, which is also a black box. Thus, closer analogy is not American Express prohibiting users towards Visa or MasterCard, but instead prohibiting users from knowing these options exist at all. And so this is the part that really confuses me about the ruling. So basically, in my opinion, what the court has ruled is that, yes, Apple is allowed to charge 30%. They're just not allowed to collect the 30%. Uh, so it's like, hey, Walmart, you can sell a TV for 500 bucks, but you can't stop someone from just walking out the front door with it, uh, the front of the store with it without paying. And again, not a legal expert, but it seems like this thing is going to have implications all over the economy. I mean, like Amazon and eBay uh, have similar clauses that Apple does. Uh, really, any sort of platform. So think of Uber. Or think of a general contractor, like every time you hire a plumber or a painter, if they can just circumvent their contractor, I don't know. I, I, again, my opinion, it seems like the judge didn't really examine the further implications of his ruling. Um, and it was also somewhat questionable because he used a California law and then said Apple has to apply that nationally. And anyway, not a legal expert, but I was confused by that. Um, furthermore, the court ruled that uh, digital mobile gaming is the relevant market. So keyword mobile. So let's dive into some facts about mobile gaming. Uh, 
let's see, uh, mobile gaming is a $100 billion industry, which makes up 59% of total gaming. Um, and this the growth in mobile gaming didn't seem to harm the growth in regular gaming to make it seem like those are two somewhat different segments. And then they also have different demographics. So young children, teenage girls, older adults disproportionately make up mobile gaming, whereas regular gaming is your typical you know, teenage boy, uh, male under the age of 25 kind of deal. Uh, let's see. So Apple has a 55% market share of digital mobile gaming. Uh, the court states success is not illegal. Uh, and evidence did not prove higher barriers to entry or conduct decreasing output or decreasing innovation. And speaking of innovation, you have the rise of game streaming. So you have NVIDIA's GeForce Now, Microsoft's xCloud, Google Stadia, and Amazon's Luna. So... I think the big hurdle that online game streaming has to overcome is the internet just really isn't that fast in America. So last year I tried a free trial of Google Stadia and it was just unplayable. And I can watch Netflix fine, I can watch YouTube fine, but I couldn't do that. And if you're a super competitive gamer, any sort of lag is unacceptable. You pay money for the best processors and the best graphic cards and the best monitors and the best internet connection, and the best mouse and keyboard, etc. You're not going to accept any sort of latency from the online streaming component. I'm not saying you're never going to have online game streaming. I'm just saying uh, it's a hurdle. Uh, moving on. So the Apple App Store, it allows video and music apps to stream, but games can't. And that's because... You cannot include a third-party game store in the Apple App Store. Apple wants to curate all the games in the App Store. And the App Store is primarily a game store. In 2016, the top-grossing apps were not only all games, but they were all freemium games. And I should define terms. Uh, so a free game is one you just download. Maybe they make money off advertising, whatever. Look, it doesn't cost you any money. Freemium is where it's free to download, but then you pay for additional in-game content. And we can break that down into two categories. You have what's called pay to win, where if you want to be competitive, you have to buy like the best items and the best weapons in the game, and that's typically derided. Then you have what's considered a more pure form of freemium, where the, the in-app content is largely cosmetic. So for example, in Fortnite, if you are running around the map with just the default skins, then other players are going to make fun of you. They're going to refer to you as a no-skin. And a no-skin is associated with being a noob, with being a new player. So in other words, uh, there is a social status to purchasing in-app content in a game such as Fortnite. Uh, other game uh, business models include subscription, paid, and premium. Uh, premium is where you pay for the game and then you also pay for additional in-game content, largely considered the Count Dracula of game business models. Let me, let me scroll down here. Now let's see, so this is where it gets, uh, where it gets interesting. 80% of all apps on the App Store are free. This does not include freemium. Uh, and 70% of App Store revenues are from gaming and are generated by less than 10% of all App Store consumers. So if that sounds like the 80-20 rule, 
Just wait. It gets it gets better. In 2017, 6% of App Store gaming customers accounted for 88% of all game billings. That's over $750 million annually. And to take it one step further, 1% of App Store gaming customers generated 64% of all game billings for an average of $2,694 per year, which uh, I've spent at least that on Star Wars Armada since December, so... I cannot judge. Uh, then there's also this thing called the metaverse. And so uh, what the metaverse is, is, well, a conventional game like Mario Kart or something. The developer makes the game and they make all the tracks and all the game modes and all the items and all the costumes and everything. And it's centered around, you know, like a race or a game might be centered around a death match, just like something competitive. Whereas what they're referring to as the metaverse is something more like Minecraft, where in Minecraft, people are running around with pickaxes, not killing each other, but harvesting resources and building. So it's like a sandbox, it's like playing with Legos, etc. And taking it a step further is the idea where the users become the content creators. And so I remember in the dark ages, in 1997, I'd play Quake 2, and there were all these special game modes, these custom game modes that people would just make that you could play or custom skins that you could just download and you could use. Or a little bit later, Warcraft 3. So World of Warcraft is an online RPG. Warcraft 3 was a real-time strategy game. But I, I really never played the real-time strategy game component of it. I always just played the custom game modes. Uh, the most notable was, of course, Dota. And these were... These were games people would make using Warcraft 3 as the engine, like as the basis. So they use all like the, that code and resources and then just modify it to make their own games. And what I find fascinating about this is it creates this dual-sided platform. You know, so with Netflix, Netflix has to figure out what consumers want to watch. And then they have to go out and buy and create that content. Whereas with YouTube, YouTube really doesn't. They just have to provide the, the servers, which is expensive. And that's one problem with YouTube. Is like I'm sure 99% of the videos on YouTube don't generate any fucking money. But I wouldn't see this so much of I wouldn't see that as being a huge downfall with uh, with games because instead of streaming video, you're just letting people upload and download game code, which I don't think would be quite as uh, intensive. But long story short, I could really see this being a big money maker where you just create the game and then you let the users keep it relevant and you just collect attacks for so all the game modes they make all the skins they produce all the costumes all the weapons all the items all the maps etc and and this isn't a new thing i mean this has been around um like you know with with uh, valve and uh what would it be not counter-strike team fortress uh but in any case I do, and but that that did have a competitive game where we were just running around killing each other. But in any case, uh, so I, I see that as an interesting future of video games. Uh, moving on to Epic's hot fix, uh, so they refer to it as Project Liberty, a hot fix to get additional payment methods onto the iOS and Android systems. So basically, what they did is they secretly, almost like a Trojan horse, they secretly put this code into their next update and it just sat there latent and then when the code went when the update went live 
that latent code woke up and it allowed Epic to circumvent the 30% commission. Uh, from internal emails, Epic Games intended to, quote, get players, media, and industry on Epic's side by, quote, creating a narrative that we are benevolent while making Apple, quote, the bad guys. Uh, this is a quote from Mark Rain, Epic Games co-founder. There's a better than 50% chance that Apple and Google will immediately remove the games from their stores the minute we do this. Daniel Vogue, the um, chief operations officer, said they may also sue us to make an example. Uh, the court said Project Liberty Hotfix has no analog as it clandestinely enabled substantive features in willful violation of the contractual obligations and guidelines. As for why they did it, uh, Epic Games states that for purchases made within the App Store, Apple takes 30% off the purchase price. No other transaction fee in any industry comes close. Unfortunately for Epic Games, what they failed to mention is they pay a similar rate for the Sony PlayStation Store, the Xbox Store, and the Nintendo eShop. Uh, but Epic Games reassured Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. Uh, they said, quote, uh, you're not next on our list. Project Liberty would, quote, highlight the value proposition of consoles and PC games in contrast to mobile platform. Mr. Sweeney in an email to Microsoft dated August 5th, 2020. Then two days later, he wrote, you'll enjoy the upcoming fireworks show. Uh, so yeah, so Apple approved the hotfix version and then uh, it remained inactive until August 13th, 2020. Uh, Apple removed Fortnite from the app store that morning and remains inactive to this day. Apple has repeatedly offered to allow Fortnite back if Epic agrees to comply with the contract. Epic has consistently declined. Experts agree Epic Games retained up to half of its iOS user revenue after being clicked off the iOS. And this is the part that really gets me. 93% of Fortnite revenue was from non-iOS. So Epic Games was claiming Apple had a monopoly when Apple was responsible for only 7% of the Fortnite revenue. Um... I'm clearly biased towards Apple. I should have mentioned that at the top of the show. I'm clearly biased towards Apple, in favor of Apple, I should say. Uh, but the way Epic Games handled this hotfix and this court case makes me believe that they are profoundly retarded. Just, just epically, ungodly retarded. And finally, just some uh, random facts here. Uh, so Apple only had a 15% smartphone market share in 2020, which always made me wonder why they were being sued on uh, anti-monopoly grounds. A uh, quote from the judge is, antitrust laws protect competition and not competitors. I actually disagree. I think antitrust laws should protect the consumers. And then uh, this last little fun factoid, a Dr. Hansen's survey reported that 30 to 43 percent of respondents quote regularly used a microsoft phone even though microsoft has had zero market share uh, since 2018 and uh, of course no longer sells smartphones uh, thankfully though uh, dr hansen spells his name with an extra s so hopefully there is no relation in any case, uh, this has been Dan Hansen with yet another episode of How to Suck at the Stocks. Uh, I am starting a brand new investment meetup 
in the city of Chicago. There'll be a link in the description. It is free to join and free to attend. We're going to get together in coffee shops and talk about stocks. All right. Hope to see you there. Bye-bye.